Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Hello and welcome to episode 34 of the Stay Grounded podcast. Hope you're all having an amazing day. I'm super excited to introduce this week's guest, uh, Dr. Ashley Hampton. So uh, Ashley is a licensed psychologist and now a social entrepreneur who specializes in trauma, mass incarceration, and really helping different types of people unlock the roadblocks that stop them from getting what they want in their lives. And so uh, she has an incredible story. She worked in the psychology department of a medium security federal prison, um, which was wild for me to hear. She shared so many stories of the different people she helped and worked with. And what I loved most about this episode was that it really peeled back the layers of what makes us all human at our very core. Whether you're somebody who has been dealt a really crappy hand or somebody who has had everything given to them in their lives, it was amazing to see how much uh, similarities we had uh, with different types of people in different types of circumstances. And so I think that was the biggest takeaway for me and a very inspiring episode uh, that I needed to, to listen to and be a part of to really start implementing change in my own life. And so you guys are going to love this episode. Uh, Ashley's amazing. She has tons of resources on her website in case you want to get started with social entrepreneurship or really just making a positive change in your own life. Visit drashleyhampton.com. Uh, but uh, I'm going to stop talking now because I really want to get this episode going. So, But before we do, if you haven't already, rate, subscribe, review, uh, give us some love on iTunes or any of the mediums that you choose to listen to the podcast, and let me know what you think. Uh, we're starting to bring on a very wide range of people, and um, it's getting a lot of fun. So anyways, hope you enjoy this episode and take as much value out of it as I did because uh, I really needed to hear this. So anyways, I hope you guys enjoy Dr. Ashley Hampton. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Stay Grounded Podcast. Oh, Ashley. Oh, Ashley. I'm so excited to be here. Ashley, I'm beyond pumped to have you here. Uh, I'm obviously a fan of you as a human being, and um, yeah, I can't wait to just share your brilliance with our audience and to show everything you're working on because you do some pretty important work in the world. So firstly, thank you for all the work you do. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm totally a fan of yours as well. And of this podcast. All right. Well, great. So we're going to have a lot of fun together. Um, So I want to start off. So I already shot, uh, obviously, in the intro, I explained who you are and and what you're up to. But um, so I want to dive right in, if that's all right with you. Let's do it. Okay. So tell me about your experience uh, working in the prison um, and why that experience has inspired you to take on this role um, in this chapter of your life? 
So I have this twisted entrepreneurial journey. Um, I've always kind of had a side hustle and my side hustle was usually like much more fun than my job. So I never really fell in love with any of my work until I went to graduate school and had to do an internship and I found a spot at the prison and I loved it. Uh, it just, it worked for me. It was structured, but it was also something completely different every day. So I went from, um, internship there after graduation, I, uh, worked at a secure mental hospital for a little while and then went back to the federal prison system. And it just, this sounds really weird when I tell people they give me very strange looks, but it felt kind of like home. Um, I felt like I was making a difference. Plus I was learning a lot about me and about like people in general, um, and behaviors and how behaviors could actually change. So, um, so that was kind of like the start of it. And then when, um, I got hurt in a training accident at work and could not rehab my knee, uh, to be strong enough to go back in and to meet the physical requirements for the prison. Um, I left and opened a private practice and was completely, completely destroyed because I loved my work in the prison so much. So eventually I got my act together and was like, okay, how can I make that love for my job translate into my current practice? And so now I work with kids and adults in child protective services. Uh, and one of the things that I do is try to keep them from going to prison. Um, you know, so try to keep them in school, what resources they need to um, get into some better neighborhoods or, you know, employment to take some of the time off their hands if they're not making great choices as a teenager. Um, anything to try to improve their quality of life so they can make better choices and hopefully not end up inside. So that's the, the piece that I came up with for the past mm, three or four years. Um, Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, lots to unpack there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, what about like, what did you notice, you know, from the people who were in prison? Um, what about their childhood uh, brought them to prison? And, and how is that? How is your journey with like, why child protective services? Like, did you notice something when you were in prison that made you want to go back? Um, why did you want to impact people in that way? Uh, so I had a huge variety of clients, everything from, you know, the kid who had a single mom that was trying to work two or three jobs to pay the rent and make sure they had food on the table to the guy who literally had everything and lost it over financial scams. Um, so there wasn't necessarily one common thread, but the majority of the inmates, at least the ones that I worked with, um, didn't have the best life growing up. And they, a lot of them were looking for something that they weren't getting. So whether or not that was like love and attention from a parent or money to buy clothes or, you know, the sense of belonging that most of us get from home, but not always. Um, that seemed to be like the, some fairly common comments about childhood uh, so I kind of actually lucked into the child protective services work 
And then I realized that some of the stories I was hearing with my clients now were some of the same stories that I heard back when I worked in the prison. So um, my role, I evaluate them, make sure, you know, like any mental health concerns, any kind of IQ, so like educational concerns, employment concerns, that kind of stuff we address. Um, but it's also for me a bigger picture. So for me, like where you're talking about on this podcast, like being happy and setting up routines and things like that, it's a lot easier, in my opinion, to do those things when you have resources. So like, yeah, when you have a job that's paying you more than minimum wage for a family of four, um, you know, and that's what I consider my job is to help people find resources to improve their quality of life. So then they can do things like what you talk about, be happy, have some routines that make them feel fulfilled. And then so they can help other people. Um, Let me ask you this. Yeah. Um, a lot of times I've found that the things that make me happiest aren't things that necessarily cost money. Right. Um, so how do you instill a practice of, of happiness and, and separate that from money uh, when it comes to working with whether people in prison or people when they get out of prison or people before? Like, I guess when people are going through hardships, how do you separate the idea of happiness from all the hardships that they're facing? I actually just had this conversation the other day with a woman. Um, you know, she was talking about um, getting a better job and how if she had a better job, she would have more money, but she would probably also have more problems. And I thought that was a really interesting way to look at it because I don't see that at all. I see more money, more solutions. Um, so, you know, I kind of turned it around on her and said that. And I was like, you know what? I know money is not going to solve your problems. However, if you had a car to go to work and you didn't have to depend on the bus, whether or not it was late or didn't show up, would that potentially like make your day better? And she's like, oh yeah. And I said, and would that make you smile more? Would that make you less stressed? Would you be argumentative when you got to work? And she's like, oh, I would totally smile more. I wouldn't be, you know, in a bad mood. Like that's what money can provide you the transportation in order to, you know, make that be a good part of your day versus a bad part. Um, a lot of it in the people that I work with is mindset because it feels like in their words, everything has been stacked against them. And so the majority of people I see it's everything's been stacked against me and I don't know how to get out of it. And then there's these few people who are like, well, you know, everything is stacked against me, but I'm going to use this as a way to get the resources to get out of this and then, you know, prosper because I now know what this is like and I don't ever want to come back. That second, that second thing you just mentioned was it almost stems from a sense of ownership. Right. Um, how I can't imagine what people in prison are going through. I'm not even going to pretend to. Right. Um, you know, especially when there's, there's a lot of systems in place that almost stack the cards against different types of people. Exactly. Um, yes. and so like, how do you translate a sense of ownership? Uh, how do you, how do you even teach a sense of ownership to people who are going through circumstances like that? It's difficult. Um, and most of it is difficult because of exactly what you said. So, you know, the conversation, and I just had a conversation with somebody earlier about this. It's like, well, I'm a felon. When I get out, I can't 
I can't get housing. You know, I'm not going to get a job because nobody's going to want to hire me. Um, you know, like I'm not going to have any money and it's just easier for me to go back to dealing drugs, for example. And I'm like, yeah, you can totally do that. And my comment was often, I'll leave the light on for you because you're coming right back. Or we can look at this a totally different way and we can start ground zero and we can look at creating you a plan. Yeah, you're going to work at McDonald's and yeah, you may not like that based on your past lifestyle, but that's the, that's the first step. Not the end goal. That's the first step to show that you can be a trustworthy employee, that you can show up on time, that you can follow directions, that you know, you're not you're gonna follow exactly what authority says, you're not gonna buck the system. That then becomes the step to the next job, which becomes the step to the next job. I you know, I never wanted people to settle for something they weren't happy with, but instead use that as a building block in order to obtain what they want, which in my viewpoint is how you get to your goal. Like you start small and you move forward and you make those steps along the way. And yeah, you do some things that aren't, you know, as fun as others, but you have to start somewhere. And so that becomes the issue. What are the, like some of the first habits that you try to instill in people who want to make a positive change in their life, or maybe they don't realize they can make a positive change in life. What are the first habits you sort of introduce? Um, the first thing I used to try to teach uh, was to think before you speak. And that sounds really simple, but if you look back and I'm not saying drug dealing is the best um, entrepreneurial skill. However, <laughs> um, Drug dealers are entrepreneurs. They're not legal entrepreneurs, but they are entrepreneurs in their own right. And they're used to running, quote unquote, their company. Well, you can't do that the same way if you're going to try to have a business. Like you have to listen to people. You have to respond in a positive manner. If you're working for someone else, you have to do what they're telling you to do, even if you don't agree with it. And so that minor shift in like, I just want you to pause three seconds after I ask you to do something, think, and then respond, um, was a skill that many, many, many people I worked with did not have. So it was, um, you know, I want you to go do this for homework and then I want you to come back. But I mean, there was no even pause and I didn't get my last syllable out before they were telling me how they couldn't do something. I'm like, no, you got to stop. You need to listen to what I said, actually hear it, and then process and come back to me with your response. Um, not just a, you know, it's, to me, it's like that teenager gut reaction of like, I want you to go do the dishes. No, no, I'm not doing the dishes. I don't want you right now. I'll do it later. Um, you didn't even think about that. You know, like you got to think first. I think that, uh, I think everybody has an element of that. Yes. I think is, that's why I love asking these. I love, I love what you're sharing because it really draws a almost a connection between no matter where you are in your life and people who you may seem you have nothing in common with, but really we're all the same people. Um, right. It's like this idea that, I mean, I think about it, like there are things that I'm just so stubborn on. Like, I'm just gonna, this is how I am. This is how I, this is how it's always been. I just don't care. And a lot of people have these lenses on, but when you really ask them to take a step back and look at it, you're right. It's just an idea that we're not, we are speaking before we think. 
Um, and that's such a powerful statement. I th- I'm so grateful you brought that up because it really does shed light. At least for me, I feel more connected to uh, people that I probably would would really not have the opportunity to feel as connected to. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's um, it's really. I think that's part of why you know I say the prison system felt like home, and I've tried to explain it to people because they're really put off when I say that, and I understand because the societal expectations is, you know, that prison is a really hard place and it is in many respects. However, the people in there are human and they have a story. And my whole job as a psychologist is to listen to people's stories. That's what I love the most. And so if you listen to people's stories and you really listen, and then you think like, how does this connect to me? It's really shocking how a story me, somebody that like went to graduate school, I have a PhD, I, you know, have had all this success and all this failure and still have come out to what I really love. Like I love my life now. And I had some of the exact same experiences as some of these men that I had on my caseload in prison. Like we had some of the exact same experiences, but I'm out here and they're in prison because of some choices. And sometimes it was just one choice and that was it. Give me an example of somebody who shared a story that changed your life. Oh, wow. Um, That is such a really, really good question. Um, There's so many. Okay, so one of the ones that um, really had an impact on me kind of like getting into the system. Um, A friend of mine, when I was growing up, his father, which did not raise him um, because he had been in and out of jail, his father was on death row. And um, I mean, you know, in the South, you're taught like people go to prison because they make bad choices and they do things that are against the law. And when it's really bad, they get the death penalty. And they deserve it because they did something really bad. And we have the death penalty because it deters crime. And then people won't do those really bad actions, usually murder, um, if we have the death penalty. Okay. So, like, that's the purveying idea. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, Um, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, that's what you grew up thinking. Like, this is one way to deter crime. This is one way to make sure our prisons you know, don't have all these people because people aren't going to kill people if they know they have to have the death penalty. Um, except that's not really true. Uh, so (laughs) I know, right. It was a really shock, like big shock when I found that out. Um, but his, so we were in college, like maybe first or second year in college when his dad was executed. And, um, I remember thinking, I I never knew his dad, um, never knew anything about his dad, but I remember thinking that as much as the person that was harmed in that crime, as much as their family was harmed, I'm sitting here with my friend who just lost his dad, who he never really knew because he'd been in prison his entire life. So like it was more than the family that was harmed by the death and the murder of the individual initially, like the scope of who was harmed was much, much greater than that. And I never really thought about that. And so that kind of hit me sideways in college. And that started 
um, kind of my interest in the criminal justice system back then. So fast forward like 15 years. And um, when I was working on internship, I got involved with um, a professional organization that was doing some research on the death penalty. And one of the big questions was, does it deter crime? And the job was of me and my team was to go through like all of this research spanning, you know, like when they first started the death penalty, like as much as you could get and put together this literature review and determine whether or not the death penalty actually deterred crime. It does not. Statistically, there is nothing to support that the death penalty actually deters major crime. And so from what that What do you point, think does? Um, quality of life. I really think quality of life in the very, very beginning is what deters it because I, I feel and and research partially supports me. It's kind of hard to do this research because you can't like make a family poor and then make a family have, you know, like middle-class resources and like compare them. Um, but I think if you don't have to struggle for basic resources and you don't have to, um, like struggle for food and clothing and rent and transportation. And you can then like work regular hours for decent pay and spend time with your family. And you have these good memories and these moments with them and you feel fulfilled at home. I think you then don't go looking necessarily for trouble. And that's not a hundred percent true all the time, but I think the majority of that would be true if we could improve all of the quality of life markers how do you how do you help people um experience that sense of home when sense of home isn't as obvious in their lives i mean i think that's the key factor um what partially drew me to you at the event um that we were both at last month and what i want to know more about your story was like creating these pieces out of something that we do normally, you know, like how do we infuse just like calm, happy times in our day out of things that we always do? Um, you know, so like what I liked about your company is like most people drink coffee. I don't. And I listened to Michael O'Neill's episode. He's like, I'm probably the only one that doesn't drink coffee. But not right <laughs> there. Um, so I don't. But like I have the same morning routine, you know, like I wake up to music every morning. Uh, and that's one of my like meditative things, you know, and I wake up to music because I don't want that stupid alarm. And I sit and like, I lay in my bed and listen to a couple songs and kind of get jazzed before I get out of bed. Right. And yeah, like, like it's an amazing a, morning. It's fun. Like it's a special <laughs> playlist that I've created. It's like only songs that totally jazz me up. And, you know, I get up and I make my bed and that's like my automatic win for the day. If I've accomplished nothing else, I've made my bed and, um, then I get ready and like, sometimes the music's still going. That's fine. I just let it, it tunes out after an hour and I just let it keep going. Um, but I'm most interested in like teaching people how to do what you're doing. So in terms of sense of belonging, get back to the original thing, um, I think we can find that a lot of places. So, I mean, it can be as simple as a teacher at school. So if you look at a lot of, a lot of celebrities are coming out with the whole teacher thing and like, Hey, you know, this teacher did this for me. 
And without it, I don't know what I would have done because this was really like a turning point for me. Um, sometimes it's sports coaches. Sometimes it is, um, you know, somebody in the community that takes, you know, some extra time with a kid. But the kind of the thread that comes through all of that is somebody that is showing an interest in taking the time. And yeah, I mean, unfortunately, just parents sometimes can't do that for whatever reason. Usually it's because they're working. And so somebody's got to step up to the plate. No, I, and let me ask you this. So, yeah, I mean, my some of the most influential people in my life were mentors, sports coaches. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think about, like, I played tennis growing up, and uh, Kevin, Kevin Duke, he was my first real mentor, and um, he was one of my tennis coaches. And I mean, I credit a lot of just what who I am today because of the stuff he taught me at a very pivotal mm-hmm. age in my life. Um, now, with the age of like, where we live now, right? We live in almost like an information age where yes. kids have access to the internet. They have access to like all these educational resources. Um, do you ever like like either help them become more resourceful in that sense, like where they access like podcasts. Cause if you think about a podcast or even just any radio show or someone, someone's taking the time to share something. Right. 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 Um, so like, is, are there any outlets out there for people who come out of these systems or who are born into these, these homes without a sense of belonging for them to access? And if so, uh, how do you like, how do you make them feel comfortable learning from somebody that they've never met before? Oh, that's a really good question. So, um, and you don't know this, so this was not even a leading question for those of you that are listening. Um, (laughs) I'm actually going to create and launch a podcast, um, in the fall specifically. Yeah. Um, it's been a long time coming, but specifically for people to share their stories, kind of like what we're talking about, like people that have been in the system, how do they come out and then make a life for themselves? How did they, how did they go from, you know, being kind of like an outcast to being someone that's been successful in society? Um, so that's wow. one. Uh, right. Really cool. Um, <laughs> Definitely definite, didn't know that was happening, guys. I'm not even kidding. Like, totally actually, a sign that it's reinforced <laughs> my uh, ability to do it. Well, now um, it has to happen. Now it has to happen. Yeah, I know. I put it out there. So now <laughs> it is going to happen. Um, but the other thing that I've done, I have done some of this with teenagers. Um that the tough part is like some people are using the internet for inappropriate reasons and that's how they get to me. Um, but for kids that aren't, so like kids that are maybe just kind of lost and they're hanging out with a different crowd or the wrong crowd or whatever. Um, I do sometimes sit and like, okay, what's up? Like, what will make you happy? What will like motivate you because you've got a really good IQ and, you know, I try to give them an extra, you know, 20, 30 minutes at the end of the appointment to just kind of build them up. And, um, so sometimes we talk about podcasts. Sometimes we talk about like resources in the community or summer camp or, um, we have a high school that does like a lot of creative arts stuff. And so I talk to them sometimes about like auditioning to go to that high school because their writing or their drawing is just exceptional. And um, so obviously it's a lot of resources there, but it really, the teenagers don't care about learning from someone they don't know. They're like, it's not even on their radar. 
I get that with adults that are my age, you know, like, I don't know, why would I want to listen to this person? Like, you know, um, you're listening to a lot of people that you don't know already on TV, on the radio. Um, you know, I'm like, just give it a try. I mean, at the worst, you turn it off after two, two or three minutes. At the best, you find somebody that you kind of like listening to and, you know, maybe learn something, maybe you don't. Um, but you're always in control to turn the station, you know, or turn off the podcast or change the channel. So, um, a lot of it is empowering people to make the decision. Um, you know, I get a lot of that. And I asked somebody one time, cause I asked at a client who had a really good IQ, like exceptional IQ and she was working fast food. And I said, why are you working in the fast food industry? And she was like, well, I don't know. Like that's the, it's right around the corner from my house. So like, that's what I do. And I said, well, have you ever, you know, thought about like working in an office or, you know, you said you a long time ago wanted to be a nurse. Like, have you ever thought about working at the hospital? And she was like, you mean I can do that? And I, I was blown away because once we started talking, no one had ever encouraged her to follow that dream to be a nurse. And like, she's nine. So she's like 20 years out of high school. Um, and she just didn't have the people in her life that encouraged her to go further. And so she was like, I don't even know why you're telling me this. And I said, because you can do it. And it's, it's, I mean, it would provide a better life for you and your kids. Like you could, you talked about wanting to go to Disney world. Like you could save up and go to Disney world pretty easy if you made much more money an hour. And she's like, Oh, I didn't think about that. It's just education and, um, a little bit of somebody giving a shit. You know, you know like I, 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 you are awesome. Um, and that, that, <laughs> that story, right. Well, that story right there just made me feel, um, almost like a sense of response and everybody has a sense of responsibility um, right. because if you were born into any time, I mean, being nice to people that right there oh, uh, yes. can change someone's life being like, or even just being like being nice to yourself. You know, that's what this, I mean, this podcast really is about like self-care and taking care of yourself, but right. like, ultimately the better, like the more you encourage, inspire, spread positivity, niceness, whatever you want to call it. Um, the more people get impacted and you might not actually feel the ripples immediately. Um, but I think that's really powerful because what you just said is crazy to me. This woman has spent, she has spent her entire life not knowing that she could do something. The second she had one conversation with somebody, which was just like a, Hey, have you thought about this? It wasn't even like a, anything more than that. It was just a, like a simple question. And that sparked something big. Um, so how many people can really, and I want all the, I mean, listeners, I'm sorry for going off on a tangent, but I'm just, I think it's really important if you know people in your life who are going through something, or if you know people in your life, if you're doing something inspiring, if you're somewhere ahead, just encourage people. Um, that's so amazing, Ashley. I'm, I'm so grateful to know you. Um, oh, thank you. That was really awesome. And I love that. And I love that message. Just being nice to people and encouraging them can go a really, really long way. Um, <laughs> Yeah. It, well, and I think that's like, I mean, we, we call it our responsibility. Like I just really, it's the story for me, you know, and it's, it becomes this issue of 
Like, how do you make the story better? Like, they want an ending that is like Disneyland, for example. How do you get there? Uh, And to me, because I'm outside the situation, I can see all the pieces. So it's a lot easier for me to say, like, if you did X, Y, and Z, you could get there. And sometimes, you know, like people aren't educated that they can do that. They can't see it because, you know, like all of the obstacles are so tall. It's like a brick wall in front of them. You know, like there's all these reasons that could come in. Um, But, you know, I said it and I I took a chance saying it because she could have like cussed me out. She didn't. Um, But, you know, to to say that and be like, hey, can you, you know, like, can you put in an application? She'd never even put in an application. And so I'm thinking, you know, like my school system, <laughs> my city school system failed right here. Like that should have happened in high school that all this encouragement should have happened in high school. Like, what are you doing? And so, you know, eventually one day that's like my secondary plan, um, is to try to help kids, get there like this it doesn't always have to be about money you know yeah you can fund a college education through loans like but you don't always have to have the college education like you can still make amazing things happen if you don't you just have to know how to get there and sometimes parents don't know how like neither one of my parents went to college and I had to ask all over the place like how do I fill out an application and what about financial aid you know, gotcha. I mean, it, yeah, it just wasn't. No, like, it's it's a hard it's a hard system, and yeah. um, but no, I uh, people like you are changing it, and I'm grateful for that. Um, I had a question for you that was actually burning on my mind. Ooh, okay. um, so when I think about fulfillment in general, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of people draw fulfillment from different places, and right. you seem to be driven by something that is beyond anything I can really explain. Um, what does fulfillment mean to you, and how does it show up for you every day? So I used to base it on salary, you know, like I wanted my next job to make more than my first because that allowed me to, you know, like what, have a house, have a car, all that jazz. Um, That was in my early twenties and that was before I found the job in the prison I really loved. So for me now, several years later and several bumps in the road later, um, it really just looks like, do I get up and have a good day every day? And that sounds so silly to just say that it's really that simple. Um, but for me it is. So, you know, like I have, um, I have, um, clients scheduled on some days. And so some days I go deal with clients and then other days I don't. And I do other things to like record this podcast interview and doing things like that and like switching up my schedule is really helpful for me because I get to do a whole lot of different things Um, and no day is exactly the same. So being in control of that kind of thing really helps. Um, Gosh, waking up to music, like I was saying, like that is amazing to me. Um, I really, really love that. Just simple things. Let me ask you. So like, how does your, when you, when I say fulfillment, I want to, I want to go deeper. Okay. I think that you're driven. I mean, what I've noticed about you is you're driven by something that can't be explained. Like you want to help these people. Um, and you want to help people in a way that 
I, I, really, it's, it's pretty empowering and inspiring. Um, why do you want to help people? And why do you feel like that makes you feel so good? Uh, wow, you really did mean deeper, didn't you? <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, I've been pondering this a lot lately in terms of um, why I got here and the purpose of um, a non- this nonprofit that I'm creating and why does it even matter? Because a lot of people ask that question. And I trace it back to my grandmother. Um, so my grandmother was like a little kid in the Great Depression, like never really had much of anything her entire life. Um, she sold shoes. She worked for a very, very long time and like past when she could retire because that's what she liked. And um, she was just like this really solid working person that took care of my dad and my aunt without a man, which, you know, back then was like, you didn't do that. You know, like that was so, um, scandalous. Uh, but like it, so much family drama there. Um, but she was this strong, independent woman and no matter what you put in her way, she just dealt with it. You know, it just was what it was, and that was fine. So I think a lot of that kind of got instilled in me um, along the way. And it, the other thing is, um, like, she totally, totally supported everything I did. It didn't matter. Like, there's been so many twists and turns in this journey, and it did not matter. I could have told her that I was going to, like, sell everything and, like, move to Brazil, and she'd have been totally on board. Um, But she was, like, 100% supportive no matter what I did. And I think that was part of it. I think the other thing that was really, really crucial in terms of who I selected to work with um, was... I was always taught to be kind to everybody. Doesn't matter what their color was, what, you know, boy or girl or whatever, um, what they looked like didn't matter. I was to be nice to them and like accept them for whatever, whoever they were. Okay. Um, and that was coming from someone who lived in a tiny town in rural Alabama that in the civil rights movement was like, one of the places where they took those pictures of them washing people down the street. Um, yeah, it's like she can, she, well, when she was alive, like she would tell me stories about how all this worked. And, um, she back then, like even before the civil rights movement, like she had black friends and like she was shunned sometimes because of having those friends. And, um, you know, like it kind of just put this little twinkle in me. Like, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to enjoy life. And it doesn't matter what your expectations are for me. I'm going to do me. Um, but the other thing that she taught me that kind of stuck with me was, um, you root for the underdog no matter what. And that is the person that may struggle the most 
but they're also probably going to work the hardest. And so that's the one that you support. No matter what, you support the underdog. And so like I've had offers to work with clients that could pay me cash. Um, You know, I've had like offers to work in really, really big projects that would make me a lot of money, but was not interesting to me in the slightest. Um, and so I just didn't take that stuff. Let me ask you something. I like what I do. What makes an interesting client? I like the, I like the underdog struggle. Um, I like the people that have problems that can be fixed if they just work a little bit. Um, so, you know, like the lady I was telling about, about the job, like that could be fixed fairly easily. There's a lot of jobs open here. Um, and a lot of jobs open here in healthcare. So my, it might take her a little while to get a job because she hasn't had a healthcare job, but she could do that. That is a kind of a fixable problem. Um, I like the people that have a little spunk about them, (laughs) you know, like going back to the story, like there's some bumps in the road in that story, but they're, they're moving forward. They're doing it. And yeah, they may not do everything 100% perfect, but they are at least trying to do something. Yeah. No, I, I think that uh, what I find most inspiring about the work you do and, and kind of the people you help is that, like I said, I think I'm just drawing a really strong parallel between people at any walk of life. Even that idea right there, like a majority of problems in life are fixable. Yes. Um, Yes, they are. Almost everything is fixable. It just takes the right conversation with the right person or the right piece of information that adds a piece to the puzzle that you didn't have before. Yes, totally agree. And and I love that because that's really empowering um, for me to think about. That's how I always think, think. I've thought about my own problems, but I love that. I love what you stand for. And I love how you, I love how you teach people who don't easily have access to that knowledge to embrace that part of life. Cause I do think that, I think you're doing amazing work. Um, so Ashley, what is, so what's next for you? Like how, how are you going to continue helping people? Um, and how can, how can, I guess I want to ask a, a, a bigger question really. How can, how like people who are listening to this podcast are like myself, like how can we do our part when we're not in a position like you? Like how can we do our part to um to just be better people uh and and open our minds a little more or just make an impact even if it's a small impact how how can we be a part of the solution i think the biggest thing that i would say is like challenge your thinking on certain things so for example um like you don't even have to you don't have to donate money you don't have to donate time you don't have to do any of that um but if you're having a conversation with somebody and you're creating an us versus them scenario. So like you and your friend are the us and everyone outside is the them, no matter what that is, if that's, you know, ex offenders, if that's, you know, people down the road, if that's somebody in another department at your job, look at that us versus them thinking and really, really examine, are you that much different? You know, is there really that much different about you that you need to be completely categorized in two different places? Um, Because like we've talked about, like, we're not really that much different when you put all of us together, you know, like 
we're really not that much um, like that far apart, I don't think. So um, that becomes like one really, really easy way to make a huge difference fairly quickly. Uh, it takes a little while to kind of like run all of that out of your vocabulary. But once you start paying attention to it, you'll hear yourself say something and you'll be like, oh, no, 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 I don't really believe that. That's just what I've said because that's what I've heard. So then you start changing your language and, and you then make a much bigger impact on the people that you talk to every day. And that just, yeah. that affect ripples. Oh, yeah. And I think I want to kind of come full circle with the ripple concept. I mean, really... The, the daily actions that we can all take, I think, are creating ripples that you can't see yet. Oh, um, I totally agree. And and so even just, uh, like I said, being nice or saying thank you or, I mean, it, there's just so many little ways to just show up in life that I think create these positive ripples that somehow, somewhere, like just just go out. And it creates, and the more people do it, the bigger these ripples are. Um, and, uh, I think that that concept is something that everybody has the power to do. And I think that's what I love about life in general. I mean, if you want to make a decision to change today, uh, all it takes is reframing the mindset and really doing what you just said, which is noticing and seeing that we are all in this together. Um, yeah, it can be really very, very simple. And the best part, I think, is it costs you nothing and you're not putting out any time. So it's not taking away from anything you already do. It's just a simple mindset, mindset shift and language change. Um, you know, and that... Compounds. Yeah, exactly. The impact of that is huge. And most people think they have to either give them their time or their money in order to make that large of an impact. And you don't. Nope. Um, I love this. <laughs> this is like my jam. I love, I know, I'm uh, so much fun. <laughs> no, this is, this is amazing. Ashley, you are uh, such a rock star. Um, if, if people wanted to, if anybody listening here wanted to get involved with what you're doing, learn more from you and, and just infuse more Ashley into their lives, how do they do that? Oh, just contact me. I would love to hear your story, obviously, cause I'm a lover of stories. Um, you know, like don't be afraid to contact me on social media. Send me an email, drashley, D-R-A-S-H-L-E-Y at drashleyhampton.com. Um, I mean, reach out any kind of way that you have, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, I'm on it all. Um, and I would love to hear your story and just, you know, like see what you've got going on. I love it. I love it. Ashley, I have one last question for you um, that I love to ask my guests because the answers are always wildly surprising to me. Um, In the midst of everything you're going through, how far you've come, uh, who you help and just where you are in your life, how do you stay grounded? Oh, this is such a hard question. <laughs> I, I mean, Save the bazooka for last. I know, right? <laughs> I think there's a lot of pieces to this question. And to me, I think it's deeper than just one answer. Um, so I'll give you a couple. So for me, the music part first thing in the morning is crucial. Um, but I also blare the music every time I'm in the car. And I'm one of those like annoying sing at the top of my lungs person in the top of the car. I mean, in the car, but I will totally leave my windows rolled up so you don't have to hear it. Um, so music is big. 
uh, writing is big for me. And now my work is really, really big because as an entrepreneur, like, you know, sometimes we just kind of get wrapped up in business and things that are super logical and it's one step to the next step, to the next step. And you just like finish your task and move on to the next one. And that's great. And it makes for great business. But sometimes I get kind of pulled away from that emotional connection of people. And so my work provides that. So I have this like really nice balance now of being connected to people and also doing the business side, which I love. And, um, I think finally, after all of these years and twists and turns and ups and downs, um, I finally found a balance that works. And so putting all of the pieces together, like I can't do just one. And I've been accused of like having too many things I'm interested in. And it's totally true, but not like, I can't focus on just one thing and that worked for me. I have to have a multitude. Um, so kind of the morning routine, um, talking to people and connecting like this, working with my clients, working the business. Um, and then I would say like the other one is traveling and seeing how people live and how other places are and making sure that I don't think that my reality is the only reality out there. Um, cause I learn a lot from talking to other people people and traveling other places and seeing things, um, especially, you know, like outside the country where people do things differently, um, like super, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, so like a combination of all of those helps. I love it. I love how, uh, I love how in tune you are with like the little things, uh, in your life, which I think is inspiring for me. And I know inspiring for others, but, uh, but no, Ashley, I just want to take another moment to say thank you so much for opening up, uh, your world to us. Um, and uh, I feel really grateful right now, just in general for hearing the perspectives that you had to share, especially about some of the people you work with, um, and how we can all be a part of the solution. I think, uh, that's one of the most empowering things, uh, that you, uh, you shared and I'm very grateful. Um, yeah, this, this was really fun and I could probably talk for another three hours. Yeah, I know. So I really uh, love it. no, this is great. But again, guys, I wanted to thank you. And so everybody, that is a wrap for this episode of the stay grounded podcast. I'm your host, Raj. Uh, this is our friend, Ashley. And from us, uh, stay grounded. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of the stay grounded podcast brought to you by Java press coffee company. My name is Raj, and I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to make daily happiness a priority. If you're interested in learning more about how your morning coffee can turn into a consistent source of joy in your life, visit www.javapress.com to learn how our products can help you do that and use the coupon code podcast for 10% off your purchase. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.